what I want to uh, talk to you about today is learning, but I want to bring a different context in a sense to learning, um, to the context that you would have already. Charles sent me a, a brief in terms of like learning and she sent me uh, a an extract from a book called Punk Monk, which um, some of you would have read. It was around very early on in the, in the, the life of 24-7 prayer. And it says this, so the primary purpose of learning in the context of a boiler room rule is discipleship. You can describe discipleship as depth with a purpose of following Jesus. It comes from the classroom, but can be found in many places as well. We will not be strangers to the ideas of learning to live life. We learn languages. We gain understanding as children in schools. As we grow, we learn skills and abilities for our jobs, for families and marriages, even for our leisure activities. But learning also comes from life, from listening to others, from observing the world around us. And it's here that we gain our worldview. Our understanding of the world and the people around us is usually based on our experience and the culture in which we have lived. This can be a good thing or a bad thing. Sometimes we need to unlearn things that we've always assumed before we can truly learn. So the question, it seems, is uh, when it comes to learning is what, how are you being formed? What are you being formed by? And, and how are you both informed by the culture that we live in? But how are you also wanting to um, be deformed from the culture? That phrase comes from uh, John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies. Lots of people, it feels as though sometimes we have a prophetic uh, gifting as though uh, prophetic is I would sense something for you that God may or may not be saying for you and I'll prophesy over you. Um, and there's some people that just seem to hold this sense of uh, the prophetic in a sense of what's going on actually uh, in, in, in the globe or what's happening in and around and what's generally happening in what God is doing and what God's saying. And it feels to me as though John, both of his books have hit a note at a certain time in culture that's really helped people. One was um, the ruthless elimination of hurry and it, and it became a bestseller because at that moment it hit a note. It, it, it was prophetically the right word for the right season. And um, I actually think live no lies is probably more, even more so in tune with what God is doing. And lots of people just suddenly started reading it and recommending it to me. And um, he would use this language that you are either um, being formed in the gospel story, you're either being formed uh, into the narrative of God and in the narrative and the story uh, of Jesus and the story of the scriptures, or you are being deformed by the narrative of, of the world. And he would call that, use that language to speak about this idea of spiritual, a, a spiritual context, an enemy uh, to your soul, uh, the devil he would describe as. And even now we start to get a little bit uncomfortable. Um, it's not easy actually even to preach into the culture that we often exist in and uh and speak about the devil and speak about things of spiritual context in that way and speak about a spiritual battle perhaps um that would be going on but that's that's the narrative of the scripture the narrative of scripture is that there there is uh, what the Bible describes as a spiritual realm. There's more than just the physical um, that is going on in the world. There is more than the, just what is happening um, between us as physical bodies connecting um, this morning. There's actually something spiritual happening. And I, I think to a certain extent, having lived outside of the UK for a long time, um, you realize that certain cultures have certain worldviews and certain uh, cultures uh, would assume certain things that other cultures don't necessarily 
really assume whatsoever. So were we back in Cape Town where we lived for five years to talk of a spiritual realm and a context? You can do that over coffee with absolutely anybody. Nobody would disagree with you. Everybody would want to talk about it. Everybody has an idea. That's not to say they sign up to my spiritual worldview, but it is to say that they would agree that that's a conversation to have. You go and have that conversation in Corringham this morning, and I, I don't think the same assumption is going to be made. People will, will smile. We had um, uh, uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses knock on the door recently, and uh, uh, I ran down the stairs. She said, oh, it's really nice to have somebody at home. She started talking to me. She said, do you, do, you, do you read the Bible? I said, yes, absolutely. She said, do you have a favorite Bible verse? I said, of course I have a favorite Bible verse. She said, well, it's really surprising, actually, to find somebody at home, one, so somebody who's even prepared to do to, to, And you actually have a favorite Bible verse. I thought, this is going to be a really weird conversation. But yes, I do. Um, a friend... Uh, two days ago, I went for an interview at a local secondary school in Kent uh, as a supply teacher. Uh, she said to God, like, God, if this is the right job for me, would you would you just show me in some way by what I have to do here? They said that you're going to have to go and do a cover lesson. We're not going to tell you what you're going to be teaching. You're just going to go in and, uh, and, and go for it and you have to cover what it is. She, she covered RE. So that's good base, right? She used to work for the church with us. Um, and then she realized she was going to be doing the Exodus story in RE. Okay, so that's a win-win if you're asking God, like, show me what I've seen. But she um, then had to do a supplementary part at the end of the, the class where she said uh, to the young people, would you be able to identify the Ten Commandments? Do you understand the story that you're in when you're reading the Old Testament in this way? And, uh, and actually, most of the class couldn't name one, not even one of the Ten Commandments. And one young person said to it, genuinely, without any sense of irony, is one thou shalt not pass. Now that's, you know where that comes from? That's the Lord of the Rings. It's the Lord of the Rings. This was a, this is a young person genuinely, and it wasn't a joke. It wasn't like, it was a, this is my best guess. Like the best cultural narrative story I've got for something that sounds like this is Gandalf. Interesting. Like if you think about Tolkien and the history of the Lord of the Rings, like Tolkien probably wouldn't be that upset that someone had done it. But but that was as far as they could go in terms of understanding the biblical story and finding themselves in the narrative of the story. Here's the problem with that when it comes to learning. You're not choosing whether you're being formed. You are being formed. You are being formed. You're being formed by the life you live and you're being formed by where essentially one one poet writes where I can't remember the name. The name was in the notes. I'll quote it later. Uh, One poet, I do remember the quote and the the poet um, uh, writes this, where you place your attention, there is your devotion. That will lead you. Your attention, the the argument the poet makes much better than I just explained it was. At first, it's about your attention because your attention leads to your devotion and your devotion leads to your forming and, and the way you are formed, what you give yourself to, what you love, where your time and attention is given. I used to find it quite challenging on a Sunday morning that I would come in, I would sit down, I'd often be preparing for church to start and Apple would send me that that reminder each week of my weekly report and it tells you how long you've spent on your phone every week and I don't know if it's a Christian that sends it at Apple and decided it would be at 10 30 on a Sunday morning but mine would always come just before worship it would be like this little vibration in my pocket I'd go and it'd go you you've spent three three and a half hours a day on your phone thankfully today's isn't that bad I think like God just wanted to be kind to me um today coming to you Today's report said I'm something like 40%, I can't find it. I'm like 40% down. It said I was 40% down on my use of my phone last week. I've only been using it for an hour and a half a day. 
That's quite low. I think they said the average uh, young person would spend about four hours. Four hours. It's somewhere between four and five hours. There, there's a, there is an aggressive um, cultural moment that we're in, and it's actually around attention. There's a conflict for your attention. There's a competition for your attention because your attention drives revenue for the companies that are, are um, promoting on social media, that are promoting their apps that are on the first. They're, they're looking at how long you will look at an advert, how long you'll watch an advert, how, many, how big the audience is, how they can gauge the audience, how many minutes they can grab your attention for because they know that your attention can essentially be monetized. So, so there's this con conflict all the time for our attention. We are, are in the midst of what some uh, psychologists describe as an attention crisis, as an attention. And, and what it basically is, is that we are, are consistently distracted. We're totally, we, 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 we can't focus. We've lost our seemingly our ability uh, to focus in the same way that we used to. Why? Because there's a conflict for our attention. Why? Because where you give your attention, where you start from that fundamental place, your attention will lead to your devotion and your devotion will lead to your formation. So the first question, when we come to this idea of learning, when we come to this concept of, of, of joining the biblical story, is to genuinely ask yourself and um, I said I don't know if you do discussion or not at the end but one of the discussion questions would be like where do you actually give your time and attention if we divided your week if we divided your day if we if we pulled apart where you actually spend your your time where you give your attention where do you give um, uh, your your focus what is it and 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 John Mark Homer in the book kind of makes the point um, he says that it, effectively what we're saying is that if if he, he he's caricaturing, but he basically says that most of us as Christians are going to open our Bible for five minutes in the morning and ask God to bless our day. And then we're going to go into an onslaught of about six to seven to perhaps eight hours worth of media from Netflix to phones, to YouTube, to, to LinkedIn, to Instagram, to TV, to then uh, on to something else. And he, and he effectively says it, it, it's just a crazy math that we would think that somehow that uh, we, we're not being formed by the culture that's around us. We're not being formed by, by what's coming. So what, what, what on earth am I talking about? Why is this important? Why have I taken so long to set that theme when it comes to, to learning? I set it in that way to understand uh, and to make the argument or to build this argument with you that you are being formed in some way. Your worldview is being informed and you are being formed by uh, by the culture that you live in, by the media that you consume, um, and by where you fundamentally place your attention. I say that um, so because when we then come to learning, what we're wanting to do when we come to learning is we want to come to the scriptures, not because we want to be informed. We don't come to the scriptures because we want to uh, uh, knowing knowing them is 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 only partly helpful, and that's generally where we've stopped most of the time we've said it's it's really important to know the scriptures and then we preach sermons and you're going to say yeah steve's going to make a good point and make me feel bad that i don't read the bible enough i'll i'll increase the amount of alerts i'll increase the amount of devotional apps i download um i'll do my best to recycle another plan out that's going to help me information is only one small first step in terms of what we're trying to get because the the point here is that you're not going to the scriptures simply for information you're 
you're going to the scriptures for devotion. You're going to the scriptures to fall in love with the story. You're going to the scriptures to be able to find yourself and find your place in the ongoing story of God and in the ongoing narrative of God. That's why we come to learn. We don't come to learn for the sake of information. I I really, really don't like going to pub quizzes with my friends and there's a Bible round because it's only me that's going to know. And sometimes I don't know and they get really annoyed, okay? They get really frustrated. I just don't know. I'm really sorry. I don't know who Noah's brother twice removed in the Old Testament was. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know, you know. But we're not coming to... Some of it is this... It's really, really, it's both and. And everything I'm going to give you is both and true. It's not either or. It's both and. It's yes, I want to come to the scripture to understand it and gain knowledge um, of it. But I'm not coming for knowledge sake. I'm coming for devotion's sake. I'm coming for the sake of, of deep, deep longing to understand. To, to do that, I make some assumptions. And those are assumptions that you may not want me to make. But we're going to work through. I'm, I'm making a few assumptions about the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16 of the scriptures uh, says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. I'm coming today with the assumption that we are, uh, are together in the belief that scripture is inspired by God. Is, is God breathe? Um, yes, there's other sermons that you could go to. There are other places you could go to. If for you, that's an assumption too far. Um, I don't think it is an assumption too far. I agree with it. Um, but if that's an assumption too far, you need to start laying out these foundations for you understanding the story because we want to know that we can trust the scriptures that we have received. Amy or Ewing um, wrote a great book called Can I Trust the Bible? Very small book, um, very easy to read, very accessible, uh, goes through a number of reasons academically um, and critically um, as to how you can be confident that you can understand um, that the Bible you've received um, is accurate uh, and, and can be trusted. The, the question, of course, is, is, uh, is then around faith as to whether you believe what you're reading. You can have accurately been given an account of the life and times of Jesus and of the, the Old Testament scriptures, um, but, but we're making the assumption that, that the scriptures are God-breathed, that they're useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, uh, and training as we come to them. I, I think so far I've said absolutely nothing controversial. So I kind of want to park all of that now. So that's not, in, in a way, that's kind of a sermon, but none of that is really what I want to talk to you about. That's very much the, the safe field of like, let's learn about learning. Let's be formed. Let's um, uh, uh, be, be embedded in the God story narrative. But Stanford, you've done that. You know that. Okay, so that's good. We've done that. We could do that again, but that would be boring. And that wasn't what God had asked me to do when I came. There's one particular scripture that I felt God wanted us to really understand and to press into together. And there's one particular concept that I felt like God really wanted us to dive into is what on earth does that then have to say around this theme of spiritual battle? What does that have to say to us? What does learning, what does this deep richness of formation, what does this understanding of discipleship and sitting in the scripture have to do with spiritual battle? I wonder what you feel when I say to you, we're going to speak about spiritual battle. I wonder what the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about that. Um, I remember uh, I grew up in Ilford. Um, I remember becoming a, a Christian and then saying I was going to go to uh 
uh, do a gap year. I was going to take a gap year. Um, I was 19, 20 at the time. Um, and I was just preparing for my gap year. I was going to go to Uganda for six months, um, which is in East Africa, an East African country. And I remember one of the, the, the Caribbean uh, ladies in the church coming together and they were very concerned um, about me at that time. And they said, here's the problem, Steve, you're going to go to East Africa and you're actually not ready for the spiritual battle that's there. You know, you're, 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 you're not actually going to be ready. You're not going to be prepared for it yet. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a Walkman, uh, uh, a cassette tape of Joyce Myers and Joyce Myers speaking on the work of the spirit is going to prepare you for going into the, to, to, uh, to minister into the environment that you are going into. It's a very interesting frame when you think about it. What was being said to me was both helpful and interesting at the same time. What was being said to me was, if you were going to stay in the UK, you wouldn't need this. Just hold that thought for a moment. If you were going to stay in England, this level of conversation is not going to be needed. Now you, you're an awkward one. You're deciding to go off and go on ministry. Now we're going to need to take you and give you this extra information about um, the, the work of the spirit or about the work um, of God. Of course, I then went into my bedroom, listened to Joyce Myers. Um, Joyce Meyer at the end um, has this uh, thing, but you know, if you want to speak in tongues, if you want to be filled with the spirit, put your hand on the Walkman. So I put my hand on this Walkman in East London, found myself speaking in tongues, quickly didn't know what that was. So got back in the car, drove to the church hand and said, what just happened? How does this work? I don't know what tape you've just given me or this. Well, they said, it's brilliant. What's just happened is you've just been released in the spirit. You're now prepared. You're ready to go. I was like, okay, okay. Then this is good, right? Like, okay. This is like a DIY lesson on going out and, uh, and doing ministry. I was like there, but what, what they were almost like, what, and, and it still happens now. What almost happens is this, this sense that sometimes if you if you're just operating as a Christian, you can operate and you just do your thing and you love Jesus and do your thing. But if you want to go to level 2.0 in this kind of way of looking at it, then, well, we really need to prepare you for these things of spiritual warfare. We need to prepare you for understanding um these kind of levels. And I, I actually just don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's going to be helpful for us to continue to view spiritual warfare um, and this idea of, of learning through that kind of lens. What I'm trying to get to poorly is what I'm trying to illustrate to you is that your formation, the attention and your devotion has absolutely everything to do with the fact that there is a, 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 a spiritual battle. I don't even have a better language for it. A spiritual battle for your mind, for your thoughts, for your attention, and for the very direction of your life. It is contended for, that your attention is contended for because it is from your attention that your devotion uh, will, will spring from and will spring forth. Therefore, by, ver by the very nature of saying that I want to be a Christian, I want to be formed into the likeness of Jesus. I want to look like Jesus. I want to do the work of Jesus. We would say, I want to be the very hands and feet of Jesus in this local community. Therefore, then I'm turning my face towards the fact that my thoughts, my uh, attention, my time, my formation will now be a a, 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 a battle line. There will be a, a line drawn over these things. I will have to contend for that, the work of God in my life. I will have to contend. Um, and one of the main ways it seems we can contend is by understanding the scriptures and by understanding the story that we're wedded in. 
that's really the point that if you get nothing else from me this morning, what I want to say to you is that your attention is being fought for because your devotion is being uh, um, uh, battled for because you have decided um, if I if I got it correct, that you want to follow Jesus and you want to live in a certain way. And to just come to the scriptures primarily for information will not be enough. You've gone into this story because you want to be formed by this story, because you want to be part of this story, because you want this story to fundamentally shape and mold the way you view the world, because you want to be formed into a worldview and a narrative that understands that Jesus is Lord that understands that um, all things will be held together uh, through the work, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when Jesus goes in the desert to, to um, or into the wilderness uh, to be tempted by the devil, he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. The devil came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Note something here. It is not enough just to have information about the scriptures. The, the devil actually quotes the scriptures back to Jesus. It's not enough. It's not enough just to have the information. Chrissy said, oh, I can tell you I like Steve because he talks good stuff, but I also like watching him because he tries to do good stuff. There's a difference he's trying to say in my life. He's, just, he's, he's actually, I think he does believe this stuff. And then sometimes he actually acts like he believes this stuff. And that's probably more impressive. Yeah, that's what he's trying to say at the beginning. And that's what's going on here in this interplay. And the question for you is, how much of your learning do you just know as head knowledge? It, it, it's here. And then some of that has gone from head knowledge to heart knowledge. And that's almost the goal of learning at the moment, that it goes from head knowledge to heart knowledge. And we sit in very comfortable meetings around it. And, and we really enjoy exposing the truth of the scriptures. And it settles into our heart. That's not the end goal. It's got to go from head knowledge to, hand, um, to heart knowledge to hands and feet knowledge. It has to look like something. It has to be outworked in, in some way. It would be better for us to pause on the scriptures that we're reading and to ask ourselves, what would this really look like? How can I really gr uh, uh, grow in this, in my own story? Then it would be just to soak it all up as knowledge for a Bible quiz. Knowledge itself will not be enough. The, the, the enemy, the accuser quotes back to Jesus, um, the scriptures. That in itself opens up an interesting point that, what everybody's longing to do in the culture that we're in, in the Christian culture that we're in, is say, well, let's just get back to the Bible. Let's just do what the Bible says. I understand that sentiment, but everybody's interpreting the Bible. Everybody. Nobody's coming to the Bible clean and just saying, yes, let's just get back to what the Bible says. Because it doesn't work in that way. You're coming into a very dynamic book that's been written over a thousand years, that's got multiple authors, that's got multiple genres, that doesn't talk about um, certain topics that you would want it to talk about, that doesn't give you answers to certain things that you would want answers to. That doesn't seem to be why it exists. Um, there aren't 
many metaphors that are particularly helpful. It's not really the manual and the, it's not that, that those metaphors are okay, but they fall short because it's the dynamic God in breathed inspired word of God, where some of it is poetry, where some of it is law, where some of it is historical writing, where some of it is, is uh, apocalyptic literature, where some of it is prophetic in its sense, where it has a context for now and it has a, a context for not yet. And that you've really got to understand that that oversimplification of can we just get back to this won't work. We're going to have to deeply understand and read it together and treasure it amongst us and ask ourselves if this story is true and it is forming the way I should view the world and forming the way that I should live, what then does that mean for me? What does that mean for my head? What does that mean for my heart? And what does that mean for my hands and feet? How should I live it out? That's why learning is, yes, this is weird because Jesus is on his own in the desert, but that's why learning in the church community often takes place in exactly that, the church community. It takes place in this iron sharpens iron. It takes place in this context where we sit together and say, I read it like this. How do you see it? I think he means this. How do you see it? I think she did that because of this. How do you see it? How do you read it? What does it mean for you? What does it look like for you? The first thing to understand today is that you are being formed by something. You're being taken in the direction of your attention, which leads to your devotion, which will lead to your formation. The second thing um, for us to understand is that you are not just an island operating, trying to understand this stuff. You're coming into a historical context. You're coming into an understanding of certain doctrines and certain ways of reading the scriptures that have taken place for, for thousands of years. You're coming into a community of believers who read and look and, and have the richness. You're coming as a, as a cross-cultural mix of people from different worldviews, from different experiences, who are prepared sometimes to lay some of that down and be able to pick up a biblical worldview together and say, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? What will this look like for us? That helps you to be formed in the way of Jesus and not to be deformed, as John Mark Comer would argue, by the plans of the enemy or the plans of the world. It helps us to be formed in, in, a, in understanding of the scriptures. Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. The suggestion for activity that's made um, in the book Live No Lies at this point is that actually what we should be far more doing is taking uh, an awareness of our thought life taking an awareness of the way we think, the way we uh, um, we live in a, a culture that, you know, uh, that as I think, therefore I am. Um, the way we are actually thinking, we need to grab hold of those thoughts and we need to submit them to the word of God. What that means is practically, um, and this is taken from a very ancient monastic practice of dealing with the, 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 the spiritual battle, is that when I think in a way that's against the Bible story, when I think in a way that's against the biblical narrative, when I'm thinking in a way that, that is, is against what I believe God has for me, I simply write those thoughts down and then I write scripture truth, scriptural truth next to them. 
So I begin to capture where my thought life, where I'm drifting, where I'm going, and I begin to hold learning very present. So yes, learning's in that community uh, sets and context that we hold each other accountable to the story that we're part of. But there's some personal work for us here that we're gonna need to do. And that is beginning to really get hold of where our thoughts take us, where our, our thinking is, is, is beginning to stink. Um, that's a good preaching line. Your thinking is stinking. Um, when you're actually there and you're, you're going in certain directions um, of, 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 of thought, sometimes we, we simply believe that um, like some spiritual battles are clear, right? Some, some sense of this kind of spiritual context is quite clear. We've, we've, we've worked in contexts where we've been dealing with witch doctors. I, I don't mind that as much as it sounds odd, because at least you know where you stand. It's very obvious. There's, and it's actually not as un, an uncomfortable conversation as you think. It's really not. It's not as though they're trying to come and, 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 and uh, use uh, 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 curses over uh, uh, or, or uh, in that moment straight away with us. Or I mean, that kind of, anyway. Um, but the point is, it's very clear when you meet someone and, and there's this sense of, um, I was in somebody's house recently and they were clearly a witch. Um, they had all the books everything every single shelf I was around the room I was like oh this is really interesting everywhere there was spell books there was wicker books there was uh you know literally you name it it's there and I thought to myself this is okay actually I at least know where I am here I kind of know what's going on and I know what your worldview is and I know what what you're going to use those books to do and you know where I'm at with this you know where I'm at that is one sense of if you only ever bank like this spiritual battle context in there we lose so much because what we then lose is this thing that actually a lot of what's going on um for you isn't that it isn't that context with spiritual battle some of it is that but it isn't that what's going on for you is much more subtle it's strongholds of wrong ways of thinking because you're being formed by the culture that's around us that's moved away from the judo judeo-christian narrative and is no longer forming people in it that's what's going on. Our, our thinking and our thought life and our attention is being driven in a way that's going against the biblical story. And that's why learning is so important. That's why scriptures are so important. That's why coming back to this craft of, of understanding that, the, the, that Jesus, the devil isn't saying to Jesus until the end, the last one, to do something bad. He's actually asking him to do something good, but do it in a wrong way. That's much more subtle. Sometimes in your life, you're, this isn't a thing of like, I'm gonna, uh, there's going to be an enemy who's going to be asking you to do bad things and then you're going to just be going to have to choose to do good things and then you're winning the spiritual battle. There's actually good things that you can be asked to do, but they'll be done in such a way that it will actually won't be a helpful way to do it. It's a good option uh, to do it, but you do it in such a way that, that it becomes um, something that creates uh, uh, huge problems for you. And this is kind of a confusion of thoughts. I'm sorry, but there's this sense of this thinking that when we talk about strongholds, strongholds in people's lives are wrong ways of thinking. They have taken in their mind a, a way of viewing the world or viewing themselves or viewing the church or viewing others. And it's not a biblical way of thinking. They have a stronghold. They have a wrong way of thinking in their mind. And the Bible says you'll be transformed by what? You'll be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
because the thinking is heading in the wrong direction. And scripture and learning is one of the most key important areas for us to grab hold of, to be able to reform and redirect our wrong thinking. You come together to immerse yourself in the Bible story because you are, it's critical where your attention is and where your devotion is because that leads to your formation. It's critical that you come together to challenge one another in community, to form together in community. And it's critical that you as an individual use the scriptures and these moments of learning to direct your thinking and expose where you have a wrong way of thinking, where your thought life is taking you into an area that's not biblical, that's not founded. It's, it's, it's as simple as this, isn't it? That I spend most of my time, it's really interesting that probably some of the areas of your greatest strength will also be the area where you find the greatest uh, test in your mind. You can sit at home spending a lot of time just meditating on the fact that you're not going to have enough just don't have enough. I don't have enough to pay the bills. I don't have enough to keep up. I don't have enough to do all the things that I need to do. I just desperately need more money. I desperately need more breakthrough. So, and, and it's almost like that one little kernel of, 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 of opportunity to turn that into prayer, um, get exposed into a two hour worry fest where you're going round and round and round the same conversation when you're really panicking and you're, you're really, it's at that moment, when you need to write down what your exact fear is on paper, and then you need to write down the scripture that would come to mind that would best plant you back in the God story next to it. It's then we say, look, I just literally choose not to partner with this way of thinking. It's not going to lead me to any fruit. I'm going to choose to partner with this way of, of, of thinking that if, if Jesus will provide for the very birds of the air, then he's going to provide for me. That's it. Not to say that your day is going to suddenly get magically easier. These aren't incantations. These aren't things that we say as incantations or spells. They're, they're the biblical story and truth that we foundationally believe by. I may not know how God's going to do it, but he's going to provide for me. I may not be able to see it right now, but he's going to provide for me. Because I believe the story. I know the story that I'm being formed into. And I know the story that I'm being formed away from and the story that I'm being embraced into. There's one more scripture that uh, I, I want to share with you. Um, and it's this. It's from uh, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 12. This is a, a, a final belief that we have about the word of God and about learning. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. What is it saying? We, we live in a culture that says, if it's good for you, then it's good. If it's good for you, then it's good. Anything goes. Anything goes in that context. If it's good for you, uh, we'll be there. We don't have what we call now an overriding moral compass. There isn't, if, if, you, if, you, if you start a narrative without a God, if you start a, a, a narrative where there's no God, where there's no creator um, uh, God, you end up in a very, very different place, actually, at the end of the story. That's the important thing. Where you start is important for your ending, okay? If you start with this narrative of there, there being a God who created, um, of us understanding who that God is, of us understanding our place in that creation, you, you end in a very, very different place. And where we've ended at the moment, or where we are at the moment, is in a context where if it's good for you then it's good you do what's right for you you do what's your truth you 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 hold on to to what's deeply right uh, for you if it makes you happy and it makes you fulfilled then you do you you do you 
And the danger of that is that we don't have what is said here of the scripture, that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates through the soul and the spirit, the joints and the heart. We are expecting, when you come to learning, we are expecting to be holding each other mutually accountable to this story. We are expecting to be held by the both by the story and in the story. And we're expecting to hold each other um, uh, in account when we come to learning as a community. It's so important that we look at it. And, and there are times uh, when you're going to have to get better at saying to people, do you know what? I just don't believe that's right. I just don't believe that's right. Because this is where I am in the story. This is how I understand the narratives. I just don't believe that's going to be good for you. I don't believe it's going to be healthy or beneficial for you. I just don't believe it because of this, because of that, because of this is where I am in the story. I'm not thinking of particular instances, to be honest. I'm just thinking in general of my experience in the, in the last sort of six or seven years and looking at most of, the, most of the challenges that I've seen in communities, most of the problems that I've seen that have taken root over many, many years can be traced back to a time when people didn't actually just stop one at somebody at the beginning and say, do you know what? I think we've gone wrong here. We need to make this right. We need to spend some time with the scriptures. We need to have a biblical way we're going to get this right, but we need to reconcile these relationships. We need to make sure that that behavior changes. We need to make sure that this is done. We, it's critical that we, we understand that this story holds us um, uh, both, both accountable and it, and it holds us, it contains us. Um, I've been studying a lot of coaching and, and qualification. One of the things they say as a coach, you have to contain people, you have to keep people safe, you have to make people feel safe. And the scriptures contain you, they give you a safety. They, they, they provide for you this sense of, 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 uh, of, of boundary, a healthy sense of boundary. And in a culture that says there need be no boundaries, you do what's right for you, you do what's good in your sight. We are living in a story that says, no, I don't agree. I don't agree. I think we need a guiding story. I think we need an understanding of what's right and wrong. That's not what's right and wrong in your eyes, but what is right and wrong in the eyes of the Lord. I think we need to guide our hearts and our minds into this guiding story. And that's what happens beautifully in community. When we can get around the scriptures and, and when, when, when the Bible reveals to us that we are heading in the wrong direction, that is not someone getting legalistic on you. That is somebody actually offering you an opportunity for life. Somebody has got the grace to say, can we just sit? Can we hold these scriptures together? Can we reveal to each other how we should be living? Are there things you need to walk away from? Are there things you need to walk into? That is a gift. It's not a a, a curse that somebody's coming and, and pulling you back from your own designs or your own desires. It's containing us. There's a containment that comes from when we're in learning um, with one another. So I've kind of made my case. I'm coming into land here. There's a number of different strands that I've taken us on, but the principle, just to recap where we've been, is that learning for us is set in this context of the fact that we follow a rabbi, okay? We follow a teacher. We follow a rabbi who has asked us to form our lives in such a way that we look like him. The original early followers of rabbis would have wanted to look exactly like their master, their teacher. They would have wanted to have looked like Jesus. They're called Christians because they're little Christs walking around the earth. That's, that's, it's just our story. It's our history. We want to be formed like Jesus. Well, how then are you formed? You're formed by your spiritual habits, by your spiritual discipline. That's how you're formed. How are you actually formed to be more like Jesus? Well, you're formed by your attention. So the first point of call is 
Who and what is getting your time and getting your attention? Why is that so important? Because actually it's being monetized in the, in the culture that we live in. Your attention has a price. It does. Your time looking at adverts, your time watching, your time uh, consuming media, your time reading, whatever you do, it can be monetized. Okay? Therefore, uh, uh, also we're aware, as the poets are, that where your attention lies, there goes your devotion. How devoted are you to, to not just understanding the information of the scriptures? The devil can quote the scriptures. It's one good thing to quote the scripture. We don't just come to learning for information. We come to uh, learning for transformation, for formation into the way of Jesus, because we want to love deeply this story. We want to fall in love again and again with the story of Jesus. So we come back because it's not just head knowledge. It's not even just heart knowledge. It goes head, heart, and then it looks like something. It goes hands and feet into the world. Why is that then important? Because your time and attention isn't just static. It's not just this idea, oh, great. Well, my attention then needs to go towards Jesus. And that will mean my devotion goes there and then we'll have fulfilled what we need to this Sunday. There's a battle for your attention. The reason there's a battle for your attention, the Bible describes as this spiritual battle, is because of the aforementioned flow of the way it's going. Therefore, that's not neutral ground, to quote Pete Portal's book. There's no neutral ground in your thinking. There's no neutral ground in the way you are being formed in the direction that you are heading in. If that's true, then and what do we need to understand? We need to understand that this idea of spiritual battle largely and in the most context for us doesn't sit in some kind of epic encounter that you're going to have um, with an individual who's trying to curse you. It may at times, but it probably won't sit there most of the time. It will sit most of the time in you actually analyzing where your thought life is going, what you think, what, you, what direction your thoughts are taking you into. And the practice for that would be to write down some of those negative thoughts, those thoughts that are taking you away from the biblical story and holding scripture right next to them and pausing to gaze your attention on scripture what's the best way to be contained to be held in learning it's in community it's this it's this it's doing this it's discussing this it's talking about this um, and pulling uh, ourselves together to do it in community you can't do this as an island it seems the disciples didn't want to um, understand this as some sort of individual quest for conquering the scriptures by themselves. They wanted to understand the scriptures in community. They wanted to bounce them in and around um, from each other and around each other. And why do we do it? Because we want to fall against the danger of not allowing the scriptures to analyze our soul, not allowing the scriptures to cut deep into our heart and into our soul. We want the scriptures to form us. We want that, that sense of the story, the narrative that will uh, capture us and contain us as we move forward. So if I were to encourage you in learning, um, the first part we can do, we know the Bible story. We know the Bible's complicated. We, know, we understand all of that. The second part for me is really engaging with learning as a means of being formed and as a means of avoiding being deformed in a world that's battling for your attention, for your soul and ultimately for your devotion. The goal of learning is that we become utterly devoted to Jesus. We understand that it's his story. We understand that this narrative, this biblical narrative has so captured our heart that we want to live it and we want to go out and, 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 and breathe it out into the society that we are captured by. 
I had the opportunity of speaking at a youth event last week. And I said, to, they asked me to speak on identity. So I took them through the scriptures, uh, scriptures that pertain to their identity as young people. And then at the end, I said, the great danger of you not understanding that you are known by God personally, that you, that he wants to be your friend, that he wants to understand every element and, uh, of your life is that you might miss the very adventure that he's caused you to go on. By you not understanding the biblical story, you might just miss the very essence of what you've been called to and who you've been called to become. And we don't want to rob you of becoming um, the person that you can be and being formed into the likeness of the Savior who would long for you to look more and more like him every single day. That's why we come to the scriptures. And to do that, you can come to the scriptures in multiple different ways. You can come to learning in loads of different ways. And there's loads of different resources to help you with that. But let's primarily first decide to give our attention to that, that our devotion might lead in that direction, that we may look more and sound more like Jesus in what we do as a community um, together. I had some discussion questions, but they're at home. That's so good, Steve. Thank you so much. Just stay here. Just stay here for a second. Just give Steve a clap first, because... If you don't, I think he's done a really good job there. This is how I feel. Steve is not a big guy, but he hits really hard. <laughs> you know, I simultaneously feel punched in the gut and lifted up. And I don't know how he does that, but that's how I feel right now. Because if, if, if you're not reflecting on some of this stuff thinking, oh, gosh. But equally, if you're not hearing some of this stuff and thinking, oh, gosh, you know, then, uh, then maybe you won't listen to the same thing as me. But I think it would be good to have some discussion. I think probably we'll have some discussion amongst us and maybe that will lead to some questions maybe we can give to you, Steve, um, if, if, if that comes up. You know, we can, we can see. But, I mean, some discussion things that I can think of off the top of my head is I know Steve did mention that one thing about, you know, what other things you're giving your attention to. Let's analyse ourselves in community where there's grace and kindness for one another and without judgment on each other what are the things that we are giving our attention to and maybe how can we see some of the ways that that is forming us you know let's let's try and look at that if if what we give our attention to is what we give our devotion to and which is what brings our formation how can we see that train in in some things in our lives maybe in some of the beneficial ways as well you know it'd be useful what are some of the things that are and maybe forming us, deforming us, but equally amongst us, share what are some of the things that are really forming us, you know, to encourage one another, to share our own successes. I loved what you said about the, you know, we can download as many apps, we can follow as many plans. You know, how many of us have tried to, to start a plan, to set up a habit, and it just doesn't stick for whatever reason, and it becomes a, then it just becomes a guilt. But what are some of the success stories amongst us? What are some of the things where we can say, I tried this, I gave my attention to this, and I, st I started to see this. Um, so let's let's share that amongst us as a as a starter question. Can you think of any more things that, that would be good? Yeah, that was definitely the first question, and and then the second question were is what what fresh uh, things that you need to do as a community in the next twelve months to make sure that learning stays as a priority amongst you. So is there anything fresh you need to do? Maybe it's revisiting old rhythms. Maybe it's continuing old rhythms. But what needs to happen for this to stay fresh amongst you as a community? Yeah, really good. So I'll just say the question for the recording. The question there from Benga was, um, Steve talked about challenging people's thoughts, challenging people's thinking, and particularly when we can, or when we see that them as having a, a wrong thinking, how can we do that 
in a way that doesn't come across just as uber judgmental. That was the question, Benga, yeah? Thank you. You all right, Steve, with that? I'd say the first question first. Um, there's three things, I guess, that I'd always talk to people about change and transformation and sticking to it. How do I actually do it? Um, the first is that um, you have to be actually honest about the cost of staying the same. You only truly change and stick to something when you realize that, because change costs you, right? So for me to say, we're going to change your Bible routine, we're going to change this, we're going to adapt that, you know that's going to cost you, okay? So we do it for a short amount of time, and then we can't stick to it for a long time, because what we haven't done at the beginning is, what's the cost of staying the same? And how great is the cost of staying the same? So generally, people change when they realize, I'm actually paying a cost for staying the same here. And the cost I'm going to need to change is going to be less than the cost of staying the same. So one thing to do is genuinely sit down and say, if I don't adopt a new rhythm and routine here, what will be the result on my relationship with God, my relationship with others, my relationship with my family, whoever it may be, and then start to list it out. And then often when I want to move away from that commitment that I've made, I go back to the cost. The second is that the rule of compound interest is true that actually most change needs to be small but consistent, not big and dramatic. So we tend to make this big dramatic thing and say, I'm going to go and run the London Marathon next year, right? And then we make this big like uh, statement. Say, and actually, probably what would be better is if I said, I'm going to run a mile next week. Going to run a mile next week, that's it. Then the week after, I'm going to try and run 1.1 miles. And then the week, month two, I'm going to run two miles. But I actually stick to it for 18 months. I stick to a regular. So one thing I would say is like, uh, if if you start incrementally, you will compound that growth. Like, So some of it is going, actually, I'm going to meditate on the Psalms for two minutes. Two minutes, that's it. Going to read a Psalm, two minutes. It's all I'm going to try and do every day. Two minutes. Rather than me saying, let's read the whole of the uh, gospel every single day. It's just going, I'm going to meditate on the Psalms. Something I've done is incorporate... Um, and changed up my own transition times. So what I mean by that is, often now when I get in the car in the morning, I turn off the radio and I say to God, I'm going to drive to work in silence because you might want to speak to me. That's it. I'm not doing anything extra. I'm changing what I'm already doing to position it towards God. So that's is like I'm going to be doing this activity. If I'd normally be distracting myself with a podcast or with the radio, then I'm going to change it up this week so that I focus it towards God. The next thought I'd have is you, you have absolute license to, do, to change what you do every week if you want. You have to do the same thing every week. If you're that way wired that you like a new thing, then do 52 new things. It's okay. If those 52 new things increase the amount of scripture you're learning or increase the, the devotion life that you have, great. You don't have to stick. Some people love to stick to the same pattern and that, in that they find assuredness. Some people need to mix it up. I change my pattern pretty much every two, three months. Just mix it up, mix it up, mix it up to make sure it stays um, and vibrant. The second question is um, this thing about offense. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, the problem is my thoughts don't really answer your question. My thoughts are that we live in a culture where people actually don't like to be told what to do. So in, in our Christian context, what we have is if you're going to come to me and say, you know, Steve, I really think you should be doing X and Y. I'll accuse you of being legalistic. Oh, you're just being legalistic. I want to be free. Like, I want to do what I want to do. Now, legalism is you're putting something in the way of my salvation, not in the way of my formation. Formation takes discipline. It does. It takes spiritual discipline. The reason we moved away from this language of spiritual discipline to formation is because we actually don't even like the word discipline. We don't like that word. 
So we say, well, we prefer the word formation. It's a much softer, it's, well, I don't want to be disciplined by anybody and God won't discipline me. So therefore I'm forming, he's forming me. So we've shifted the language even of what people would have said. But we're actually talking about the same thing. We, they, they are interchangeable in the way we're talking about them. But we prefer formed than disciplined because we don't like to be disciplined. We don't like to be told what to do. We certainly don't like to be corrected. So I will accuse you of either being really conservative Christian or being a, uh, 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 a legalistic Christian because it just keeps you here. So what that means is I, we have to have permission and accountability to go there. So I often say to people, so some people say to me, like, what do you think? I say, I can tell you what I think. I can, but you just need to understand this is my worldview. Like, so I think for some people, you've just got to say, Guy, you're asking me an honest question. Like, we can talk about it, but my worldview is this. I've got a biblical worldview, and this is where I'm coming from. You're going to get, I would say to people, you're going to find people with three, four other opinions. But if you genuinely want mine, this is what it is. And I would share it with people and do that. In terms of biblical counsel for people, the very first pastor I ever worked for said to me, Steve, if you've encouraged someone what they should do and they haven't done it, don't meet with them again until they've done it. As, as you think about that's quite like, like that is, I, d- I don't know what to tell you. You didn't take the advice I gave you last time. Advice still stands. Don't know. And Yeah. Yeah, he, and, and that's exactly, he would have just said, like, we're going to have a fruitless conversation here. But I, so, so what I'm saying is, there's, there's I, I think sometimes we think being a Christian is being nice. We think those two things are interchangeable. To be a Christian is to be nice. I don't think Jesus was nice. He's not always, he's not exclusively nice. He's exclusively good. He's exclusively loving. I don't think he's always nice. Some of the things he says to the Pharisees aren't nice. You wouldn't say, like, says, like, these are whitewashed tombs. You know, you're, it's, like, it's not nice. He's not being nice. He's not trying to be nice. So I haven't answered your question, but I think the reason you f- you're finding that so difficult is because we live in a culture where we don't see discipleship as iron sharpening iron. I don't, so we, you have to have the community, have to have this conversation about, is it okay for John to come to me and say, Steve, I, like, I just noticed two, three things that you did last week in the way you spoke. And I just want to talk about it because for me, it wasn't comfortable. You were, you, you know, and is that okay in Stanford? Is that okay at Proximity Church? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not amongst you enough to know, but it seems to me that those relationships we need are much more like I, biblical is that we hold the rope between each other and say like, we need each other to do that. So you're swimming against the culture. You're, you think, um, of course, I've just told you no Christians. I mean, but one, one great thing is just to, to, to be, to be honest, to, we talk about in coaching, I will talk about tough love, show people tough love. Tough love is I love you enough not to leave you where you are, but I'm going to tell you the truth. That's tough love. Tough love is often what we have at home, but we don't do it outside of the home. Tough love is like, buddy, like, your pants have been on that floor for three weeks. Like, I am not touching your dirty, smelly clothes. You are taking them into the... It's tough like, like that. But that, like, you can do it. Yes, I can do it, but you're going to do it. Like, you know, you're not help, it's not helpful when you do that. Like, that we have much more robust conversations at home because we're used to tough love, aren't we? Like, I love you enough not to leave you where you are. You can't do that. One day you're going to marry someone and they are not going to want you to do that. So let's just sort it now. And I'm using like a sort of uh, a silly example to, (laughs) 
Yeah, check in. Uh, yeah. But, but I think that what discipleship is much more tough love than it is culturally being nice to one another. 